Today I'm talking with Liz Calloway, who's a Tony nominee and Emmy winner, and she starred as Grizabella in Cats and provided the singing voice for Anya and Anastasia and many, many more animated movies. She made her Broadway debut in Stephen Sondheim's Merrily We Roll Along and now travels all over the world for concerts. She's released seven solo albums with another on the way. Most importantly, she's a New York Mets fan. She is a self-described productivity geek, and she has a cat, which are the three most important qualities in a person, according to me. So, Liz, hi. What are you What are you doing today? Oh, gosh. Well, you, you caught me on. This is possibly one of my nuttier days. Actually, a huge day for me. I've been, as you said in your lovely intro, by the way, I appreciate the the whole thing about being a Mets fan and having a cat and being a productivity geek. Those are three very big parts of who I am. As you mentioned, I have a, a new album on the way, and it's a live recording of a Sondheim tribute show that I did that I'm also producing. And today, this morning, before getting on with you, I was talking to Robbie Roselle, who's designing the package, and it's a 16-page booklet, and it's the final moments to fine-tune. Oh, there's another typo. Oh, there's that's whatever. And then after I talk to you, I'm going to go to Disc Makers, upload the artwork, the master recording is in, pay for it, and go get 2,000 CDs done. So that's a big day today. Whoa, this is... I'm terrified. <laughs> this is huge. This is this is the moment right yeah. before... Well, at a moment like that, I mean, it's so hard to sort of say, like, it's done. I have to release it into the world. You've announced that it's coming out on November 11th. Is that the thing that's going to get you to upload and, and get it out? Like, how do you get over that fear of saying, well, I could maybe do a little bit more? Well, that's what I keep have been doing with my liner notes. We're trying to make like a really nice booklet. And I, I do not consider myself a writer and, and writing is challenging for me. And I second guess myself and can I make this better? And is this, this the great, is my grammar right? And all this stuff that's been hard for me. I keep going, oh, wait, oh, no, this is better. Poor Robbie. I've been doing a lot of that. You know, I'm I'm a perfectionist, like, you know, I think most people are in, in a way. So but doing a live album is a really great challenge and a really good thing to go, hey, it's live. I think it's going to be a really good album. It's not perfect. The idea of, of having a live recording of Sondheim versus a studio recording where you could fix everything. For me, that it wasn't the point. The point was to kind of have a an archival recording of this particular show I did and just accept that it's it's not perfect. So I guess where I feel like, well, I have more control over the liner notes. But yeah, so it's been it's been challenging, but I'm also really proud of it. And being a producer, as well as just, you know, the first three albums that I did, or actually five albums, I did two of them with, with my sister, I did not produce myself. But when I started doing my own becoming entrepreneurial, which was sort of, you know, maybe about seven years ago, that's a whole other challenge, but I actually love it. But this has been the most complicated album I've done. And I think because it's post-pandemic and I had COVID in May, I feel like my brain is, I'm so terrified yeah. of making mistakes. And, you know, Sondheim said God is in the details. And so I keep going, okay, no, I can just put more time in it and make it right. And of course, today I'll get it out and I'll go, Phew. and then that's just the beginning of the work of having an album is like, 
okay, now they have to let people know about it and all that, which is going to be fun, but it's like wearing a whole nother hat. It seems like you're good at wearing all of these hats, right? A lot of the work that you've put out there, you know, you have an amazing YouTube page with a bunch of videos of you singing in your car and archival stuff, and then also self-producing your album. Did you know when you were going to become a singer and actor that you were ever going to wear this entrepreneurial hat as well? What has drawn you into those things? Was it necessity or is it something that you you actually really enjoyed doing? It's interesting. I never, ever thought that I would do that. I don't think I even realized that you could. I've been so fortunate to have such a terrific career. I've worked very hard, but a lot of things have come to me. And now I think you need to create your own breaks. And I'm not afraid to go. We, I think we DM'd about something about asking. You can, you know, mm. if you never ask, the answer will always be no. And, and just having the courage to go, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. And for me, I had like a eureka moment when my son graduated from college. And I thought, oh, wow, his life is just beginning now. And look at all the possibilities. He can do anything now. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Why, why doesn't that, why can't that pertain to me too? You know, why can't I have the same mindset? All right, let's try something new. And my son, Nicholas, who actually sings a duet of Move On with me on this album, he recently got his MBA at NYU Stern, and he's had a wonderful business sense. And he's always encouraged me to look at the big picture, play the long game, the importance of owning your own things. And I never really knew about business. I never knew about that. And I went, oh, I think I find it fascinating and, and actually very creative. And so when I first, I start off by doing a five song Christmas EP had no idea what I was doing. I had to learn so many things, Google this. And, you know, it was really hard. But then I think, especially as I get older, there's no bigger high than challenging yourself to learn something that's hard and then mastering it. You know, I think so we often go, oh, oh God, I have to learn that. No, that's too hard. I don't know how to do that. And now I think, okay, there's really nothing you can't do you have to work through the difficult things and being uncomfortable. I still, I'm, I'm still a newbie at this, but people are, a lot of people are willing to help if you ask and it's challenging, you know, and I just, I like the idea of, especially this new chapter in my career of making things instead of waiting for someone to say, Hey, would you record an album of this going out there and doing it myself? I'd never thought about doing an album of this show. I just wanted to sing Sondheim and just tell people how much he meant to me. And then I did this show in March at 54 Below, and people are like, you have to record this. This would make such a great album. So it's like, okay. I have no business for business producing my own album right now. But there is a gentleman, there's a, a, someone who's a big collector of Sondheim memorabilia, and I'm actually I'm selling some of my sheet music that I have had in my basement you know, from some of the things I've done to help pay for this album, which is kind of feels good to me to, um, you know, have that be part of the process. Right. Like your your past work is sort of paying for your future work and growing and developing a new skill. I mean, self-producing is such a, a huge commitment, both financially and, and time-wise. And do you look at things with that long-term tail or does it sound like you sort of focused on the next step at a time? 
Well, with this, you know, I think I decided in April to do this and went back in June and recorded the show twice and did it twice. Mm -hmm. And then just, I'm going to have it out in the fall. So it was very quick. During the pandemic, I recorded totally by surprise. It was going to, I wanted to record a single for Christmas and I ended up doing a, a Christmas album in about six weeks. Me and a, and a wonderful guitarist who lives down the street from me uh, named Peter Kayla, who worked with Carly Simon for years. It was like, oh, I'm going to make a Christmas album. Why not? It was the pandemic. We were in lockdown. I haven't done anything that has been like, okay, I'm going to record this. And then two years from now, I'll release it and, and whatever. That would be great, you know, possibly to do my next album. But no, a lot of a lot of these things have just sort of been inspired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of let's do it now. But I think sometimes it's, you know, you don't have time to overthink it, except for my liner notes this week. But <laughs> right. But e- even right. that, you know, you this is your accountability. You said it's it's going out in the world. And I think because it's Sondheim too, because it's Sondheim, I feel such a responsibility for it to be really special. I can't imagine I'll ever recoup. It's not about that. It's about making something that I'm proud of, something that I think people, we're all craving his music right now more than ever. Doing some, my Christmas album, it was to make people happy and to give them, you know, some warmth, like a fire. I want to bring like a fireplace to people, you know, a cozy fire. My best work has always been when my motives are just to like do something nice and good, not I'm going to make an album or I'm going to do a show that's going to be, oh, and then I'll be able to take it here and here. And I don't know, when your heart's in the right place and you're just creating something to share, I think that's often the best work we do. By the way, congratulations on your new book. Oh, thank thank you so much. Yeah, I just wanted to share something uh, with everyone else on the same impulse behind this podcast too. You know, how do we how do we all just kind of get through the day and inch a little bit closer to the things that feel really meaningful to us and you know, hopefully to other people. This also reminds me of I've heard you have a little mantra before you go out on stage of nothing to prove, only to share. Can you just tell me a little bit about that? You know, the first time I heard it, I was doing a show on Broadway, a very short-lived show on Broadway called The Look of Love. It was a Burt Bacharach review, and uh, Eugene Fleming was one of the performers in it. And he said something along those lines when we would make a small circle on stage before doing the show. And I went, oh, I, I really I really like that. I started using it when I, you know, doing like cabaret shows and solo shows because I, that for the longest time, that was the scariest thing for me. It's easier to be a character. It's not you. You have to be very vulnerable on stage. And I was very shy growing up. And it was very hard for me to sing in front of people. And, and now I actually love it. But of course, I can get terribly nervous. And if I just think of sharing another mantra that um, Billie Jean King is a shiro of mine. And I think she's an incredible person. And she wrote a book called Pressure is a Privilege. Mm. That's something also I think is important to remember, you know, how lucky we are that we get to do what we do. When I do master classes, I mean, I, I'm, you know, nothing to prove only to share, especially out of the pandemic, in-person performances or even auditions to have other people in the room. It's incredibly special now. And I've noticed when I sing now in person, it's such a two-way street. The audience has no idea how important they are to those of us on stage. And we've all experienced this 
the last three years together. I mean, collectively. And so now here we are and nothing is as easy. It's not as easy to sing. It's, you know, everything is a little harder after what we've been through, but that's not what's important. In that, like, return to being on stage, I read that when you're learning a song, I found this really fascinating, you learn it lyrics first, and you write out the lyrics in prose form as if it's a a short story or in sort of sentence structure, and this just sort of blew my mind. Like, how does that help you learn the song or tap into that character? First of all, I read music, and if I just am looking at the words and the notes, I'm not inside the song. And to really know what a song is about, it really helps just to to look at, you know, if you go to like lyricsfreak.com or all the, you know, there's a million lyric websites and they all, you can see them, but they're all kind of divvied up, you Mm -hmm. know, but I like to think, okay, what are the full thoughts? What am I singing? I just think it's the ideal way to learn music is lyrics first. Also, you really know what you're saying and then bring the notes on top of it. That's that's my number one takeaway. I try to give young singers that I might work with in a master class, you know, setting. As I said, if you do one thing and the same thing to the teachers, you know, the voice teachers and the acting teachers, I said, it, it will change how you approach your material if you really know what you're saying and then put the music on top of it. And of course, you know, some songs are easier to learn than others. You know, learning Sondheim, he's so brilliant. It all makes sense to me. You know, a good lyric is a lot easier to learn than a a lyric that maybe isn't constructed as well. It's so funny. I feel like this totally translates to writing lyrics and writing songs, too. Richard Maltby has told us in the BMI workshop, when we're writing songs, he says, write out the scene, write out what is going on, write it in prose form, and then turn it into a lyric. And so to hear the sort of reverse engineering of that, of how a singer might approach it, I feel like is just so helpful. You know, what are we actually saying here as opposed to, is this a clever rhyme for a character that doesn't really make a lot of sense? Exactly. And how wonderful that you've gotten to work with Richard. I mean, he's another master lyricist. He's just incredible. And I love that. I, um, I, I haven't, you know, writing, writing music, songwriting is something that I've I kind of think I have inside me, but I haven't Mm -hmm. really, I haven't really explored and I want to. And that's something that'll be good for me to remember too. Is it maybe not knowing the craft or, or just you haven't set aside time to sort of say, oh, I'm going to make this a priority now? Or or what is the, because obviously you know the craft of songs so well, but what is the thing that sort of stops you from doing that? Oh, all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, it's like I hear music. I don't write poetry. And I, you know, in terms of lyric writing, I think that probably feels like a bigger hurdle. Years ago, I did a show, a concert. I was a special guest of Jimmy Webb and Paul Williams, both incredible writers. And they asked if I wrote music. And I said, no. And and Paul Williams said, because the way you sing, you have music and you have music in you and you need to, you can write. Mm. And that was like, Of course, that was 2001. (laughs) So, I mean, I have some things that I, you know, I don't really play the piano. I can, I can sight read somewhat. I hear things. And so I can't necessarily translate them, but that is something that even if it's just for me, it doesn't have to be for any goal other than for my own pleasure. That is something that I, I want to do. 
And now since I've discovered I, and I, and I can, there's no reason, there's no age limit on when you can do something. That sounds like the genesis of a song, by the way. Even in the way you speak, I'm like, there's some lyrics here, you know, set that to music and we got ourselves a show. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, you know, I, I, it's something that I've been wanting to do. And then certain things, you know, like this album, it's like, it's very hard to go, okay, I'm also going to do this. It's like, I also need to be exercising every day. This is going into productivity. Probably the best thing would be to say, hey, I'm going to sit at the piano or just be quiet and sing 20 minutes a day or 10 minutes a day. And maybe that would be the way for me to start. I consider myself, I'm like an air traffic controller with my gigs and my, all the different things I'm doing. And it's been doing this album as opposed to my Christmas album. I wasn't doing any live performances, so I could totally focus on it. But now the concerts that I do are the easy part. There's so much prep for those mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, it's all good, but it's a big juggling act. So I want to know your travel hacks. I also want to know, yeah, how, do, how does air traffic controller Liz just like get through the day in your organizational systems? Everything sort of has to run smoothly, right? For you to also oh. feel really prepared for these things and well-rested and all the important things. So how does, how do you do all that? Well, I'm not well-rested. <laughs> Sadly, I'm not as rested as I would like, but it's helpful for me to write down all my upcoming gigs. I'm sitting at my desk and I have a sheet of paper that I usually put in a lucite frame and it has project gigs, new Sondheim album. Uh, one of the hardest things is dealing with social media and you have to post this and you have to let people know about it. That's like a job in itself. I don't know what you use, but I use Things, the app Things. You know, it works on all my, you know, my laptop and my iPad and my phone. So every gig I have is a project. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I think of something, okay, I'm going to have to do this, this, this. I put the link to whatever gig it is. And it's very helpful because it syncs. And I'll often go, okay, I need to post this on this date, or I need to pay for mechanical licenses on this date. And I'll put the date in, it'll come up and I'll go, no, let me move that to <laughs> But at least it get, it's like the David Allen kind of thing. It, it's a place to get everything out, you know? Oh, yeah. The, the touch everything once, like his big rule of like, if you open an email, respond immediately. Yeah, I don't do that. I mean, that's aggressive, right? Like he That's aggressive. I don't do that. But I do try to there needs to be a place where you get everything out, whether it's organized or not. Any idea mm -hmm. you have any, I know I'm going to need to do this, this, this and this for this gig. But I also then I love to do pen to paper. I love Circa notebooks. Because it's a certain kind of paper that you can tear out instead of like a loose leaf. I'm a big list maker. I'm a great travel agent. If you ever need help with your flights. Yeah. What's your what's your best travel hack? Oh gosh. Well, you know, it's all it's always changing, but I'm I'm a big United Airlines person and it's important to me because I travel so much to have a good enough status so I can be in an exit row aisle seat. And it used to be you it's best to book on Tuesdays. Now that's not always the case. Sometimes it's better to do two one ways than a round trip. I don't mind putting in the time to find good flights. Flying is so expensive now. It's just ridiculous. And a lot of my gigs, I have to pay for my own travel and for my musicians. But I also realize it's important to 
as much as you want to pick the cheapest flight, it's also how are you going to be comfortable? Yes, I think outgrowing that phase of like, well, the red eye is $80 cheaper, I think is really important in every traveler's life because that red eye is going to crush you for the next, you know, three days. Exactly. Yes, I, I avoid that. It's like, you know, what will future Liz thank me for? Oh, love that. That's something also I've found in, you know, when I say yes or no to things, sometimes in the moment you go, oh, yeah, that'll be fun. But you don't realize everything that goes into saying yes, say to doing a benefit. I live an hour outside of New York City, so it's a little bit more involved to do things. And I would love to be able to say yes to everything, but I have to, I once made a list of myself. If I say yes to this, this is what that really means. <laughs> you mean the, the time commitment and the, time the, commitment the energy, and the, yeah. With this and what am I going to wear and then posting it on social media ahead of time, posting it afterwards. What am I going to do between the three o'clock sound check and the seven o'clock show and sometimes all that is like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. But other times it's like, okay, you have to imagine what is really going to be the reality of what your life is at that moment. Um, someone said a, a good barometer of whether you should do something is, would you do it tomorrow? But that said, then I also, I like to help people and people help me. And I love when people ask me to do things and whenever I can, I do. But it's challenging. You have to take care of yourself. And I'm trying to think of what else, you know, I love, I'm probably the, the best procrastinator by reading about productivity. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We might be tied on that front. Um, it's, it's not the best way to procrastinate. Oh my gosh. It's... I should be doing this, but instead I'm going to read this newsletter and open this link, which will go to this link. And yeah, which you know, strategy should I use to overcome my procrastination? Let me read 16 different ways to. Yeah. To, yeah. Well, do you have any sort of go to gurus? It's not about productivity, but he's more about creativity. I, I'm a huge Austin Kleon fan. His book, Keep Going. I've read so many times and I think it's, I've read it at different times in my life. And actually he has had, he's been in my liner notes as thank yous for my, both my Christmas album. He, he talked about this Jeff Tweedy book and I read, and that kind of inspired me to do this Christmas album. And then he, he wrote something about Sondheim. He's not had a big theater person. And, you know, I, there are certain people that I subscribe to the paid version. And he did something about talking about Sondheim. And I wrote to him in the comments that I was happy that he, you know, was including Sondheim. And I said, he was an important part of my career. And he sent me a SoundCloud link to this 1971 92nd Street Y program that Sondheim did. It was with index cards and he talked for two hours without being interviewed. And I listened to it on a plane and I was like, I have to do a Sondheim show. I was supposed to do a movie show at 54 Below. But because he, he sent me that link, that inspired me to do the show and hence this album. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he's like, he has no idea. And I'm sure he's, a lot of people feel that way about him, but you never know. It's good to procrastinate sometimes and go down the rabbit hole because you don't know what, you know. Oliver Berkman has a really interesting newsletter. James Clear once a week sends out a little email that is just like three thoughts. It's very, very short once a week. And, and sometimes he'll say something that really hits home. 
I just love that like his generosity of sharing that with you had this domino effect of you now creating this other project because I feel like we rarely hear about those origin stories of how things are created and it's it's good to know that one link you sent to someone can influence them in a in a really positive way like that. Oh yeah, you just you don't know and I I'm not Jeff Tweedy. I didn't I didn't even know who he was. His music wasn't anything that I listened to. But he, I forget, he was talking about this book that he wrote. And I got the book. It was about songwriting, how to write one song. And I started reading it in the foreword. It talked about what music was and how it sharing and the warmth of whatever. And I had just gone and worked with Peter Kahlo, just jammed to see if I could find a song to do a single. And I had listened to stuff. I was like, oh, God, I wish I could do a whole album. I read that the next morning as I had my coffee, this little quote that in Jeff Tweedy's book. And that was it. I went, that's what I want to do. I'm going to make a Christmas album. So it's like very strange kind of voodoo. Kismet. <laughs> Synchronicity. It all yes, like but they lead, up. But they lead to it. But the difference is, and this is something I think that was very helpful for me when I first started, like when I first did my Christmas album, my first five song EP, if I waited until I knew what I was doing and how to do it, I still wouldn't have anything. I wouldn't have done anything. Starting before you know how to do things. I'm laughing, Liz, because in the new in my new journal, there's a whole chapter called Start Before You're Ready, because, you know, we think that we need to have every little thing lined up, connect all the dots before, but you only connect the dots after you actually get started. Every musical has been created that way. Every major creative project. Yeah, I agree 110 percent with that. But we often were paralyzed by indecision. And, and I'm a very indecisive person. That's a it's very hard for me to make decisions on certain things. And I'm trying to get better at that. And But it's so easy to just not do anything. I remember I got the, oh, God, someday I'd like to, you know, learn guitar. Mm. And I think one day I was like, okay, I kind of, and then I didn't do it. And I thought, wow, if I had done it, it's, it's not fun to be bad at something. Mm-hmm. And I thought, God, if I had started 10 years ago when I first had that impulse, I would probably be able to play a few things. But it's never too late to start. But you do have to start before you're ready. And you just kind of fake it till you make it. You know, I think the shows that I've done or when I do a show with my sister, it's like, okay, here's a show title. What does it mean? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you, you do it and then you figure it out. Oh my gosh. Well, I love the collaboration with your sister, which you're going to be doing shows together in New York in November. And, you know, I just have to confess, like, I was obsessed with the nanny. I'm still obsessed with the (laughs) nanny TV series. I didn't know until a few years ago that, you know, your sister wrote and sang the song, uh, the theme song, and then you also sang on it. It's just so memorable. You know, now they're bringing the nanny to Broadway. And so I was just wondering what you hope to see on stage with that show. I think it's so great. And I hope they find a way to use the theme song in it. I hope they are able to incorporate that. They have to. I'm so excited and I'm so and I'm so happy for my sister. I mean, I sing backup vocals on it, which I'm so you know what? It's it's helped me get health insurance. It was like the gift that keeps on giving because of, you know, how that is all over the world. You know, that she wrote something that is just in everyone's consciousness and that it's gonna be on Broadway. It's just wonderful. I feel like I could talk to you all day. And I yet I have this ticking clock of like, oh, my gosh, she needs to finish these liner notes. Like This is, <laughs> this is really you're important. Saving, you're saving me from myself because I'm going to go. I'm going to look at it one more time. 
make sure, because I just, it's crazy that you just go, okay, I did it. And then you go, oh no, wait, there's that. We're done. We're good. But I will check it one more time. Last question. I feel like we do have to talk about Angela Lansbury. We lost this legend. You know, you worked with her twice, but I was just wondering what what you'll remember most about Angela. Uh, She was, she was really, I didn't know her terribly well. I mean, I got to work with her twice. First when I was really young and she was just so kind to me. I didn't know why I was sharing a dressing room with her in this concert. And I was like, why am I with like, I'm with Angela. <laughs> why, why is this happening? This is amazing. And then we reunited and sang on Anastasia together. And we had one little reprise of once upon a December and I hadn't seen her in years. And she, you know, she remembered me during the Anastasia filming, you know, there were people who wanted limousines and, caviar and, you know, big high powered Hollywood people. And she drove herself to the session and she had like, I don't know, she had a peanut butter sandwich, you know, wrapped in recycled tin foil. So in some ways she was so regal and such a lady. She was a dame, so brilliant. But then she was also so kind and so genuine. She was a, a definitely a role model for me to go, okay, you can, you know, hopefully become a successful person, but it, it's how you treat other people and the kindness and who do you want to be? And it's like, I want to be like her. And so I'm devastated by her loss. I also feel incredibly fortunate that I got to work with her. I mean, how lucky was I? Well, thank you so much, Liz. Um, you have so much to do today and you're going to get it all done. Yes, I am. And then I'm going to celebrate with a margarita. <laughs> My priorities. You see? (laughs) It's so nice to talk to you. I listened to your podcast on my way home from my tennis tournament, uh, the one with Anne Harada, which was great. Oh, thank you so much, Liz. I can't tell you how much that means to me. Best of luck with getting this out in the world. And I just can't wait to listen to it. So thanks for sharing it with us. All right. Thank you. 